It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network, and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and the show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Kira Rundle, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Natalie Bucknell. Hello, Kira. Hello, listeners. We often focus on the problems and challenges of our current energy transition, but today we get to focus on the possibilities and opportunities. Over the past couple of years, we have followed Startup Bootcamp Melbourne, which assists energy startups from all over the world. The startups this year were chosen on their ability to address key themes in smart energy, such as grid integration of renewables, electricity mobility, uh, net zero emissions, energy management and customer empowerment, smart buildings and infrastructure, and energy marketplace. Ten startups were chosen from over 1,000 applications across six continents. Today we will show two very different startups who are currently participating in the Startup Bootcamp program. Liquid Star is working on the problem that 1.1 billion people worldwide do not have access to electricity, and Bead is an AI-based software and hardware system that measures buildings' real-time occupancy data to optimize operations. So now allow me to introduce Connor Caldwell and Scott Salandi defort co-founders of Liquid Star, as well as Hugo Van Dyke from Bead. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey, how are you? <laughs> so thanks for joining us today. Connor and Scott, we're going to start off with Liquid Star. Now, your website uh, opens with the following catchy statement. Where the grid ends, Liquid Star begins. Can you explain to us what that means? Yeah, sure. So how we look at it is part of the reason why uh, people don't have electricity across the world is that it's too expensive to actually build the grid out to them. So in the U.S., where we're from, it costs about $170 per meter to build the overhead wires. And in Nigeria, where one of our first pilots is happening, it costs $150 per meter to build the overhead wire. So from a cost perspective, it's pretty tough to build electricity out to these rural areas. So how we look at it is you put one of our Liquid Star waypoints or charging stations right at the edge of the grid. And then those people that are already walking sometimes one kilometer to two kilometers to get electricity, they can come to one of those stations take a battery, um, take it home with them, and use it for whatever they need, like lighting, um, basic cooking. So that's really where that phrase comes from. So how far would they be taking their batteries? Yeah, Generally, it's about a one to two kilometer walk from what we're seeing in our like initial, uh, I guess, surveys and, and pilots that we're, that we're doing. Currently, we think we're doing something good because a lot of what people are transporting is actually kerosene or diesel fuel mm. to, to power a generator or kerosene f- for lighting and, and cooking. The latter in Nigeria, it's estimated that up to 50,000 people per year die 
as a result of them inhaling just the kerosene um, smoke from their lights. Unfortunately, some people's houses burn down, those kinds of things. And then the, the smaller side of that, a lot of people are actually walking that same distance or even farther to go and charge their phone. So a tangible example to bring it home is that uh, one of our pilots were doing at a university in southern Nigeria, mm-hmm. and one of the kids there is a computer science major, and the university shuts off their electricity at 6 o'clock. So you can imagine being a computer science major, you're unable to proca- procrastinate like most <laughs> most kids. You, you, have to, you have to have the time from when the diesel generator at the school shuts off to when your laptop dies and they're not using like, you know, the latest MacBook and do your work. And frankly, we were surprised as well, like the student housing doesn't have electricity mm-hmm. uh, after that, that period either. So really, like we see ourselves as electricity actually as the key to solving a lot of other problems, even um, for when you talk about that one to two kilometer walk, there are no streetlights along the way and a lot of it is actually like the women that are the ones like coming and picking that stuff up and so again just having our battery with the flashlight attached to it like that's increasing like women's safety and 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 things like that as well yeah who who would have thought that so many different problems that all intersect with electricity it sounds like a fabulous initiative how did it come about originally I'll let Connor speak more to this about the, the history of it. But more recently, one of the main impetus for this was actually the hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. So we were looking at it and we were saying like, wow, you have like Tesla, you have all these people there that are you know putting in batteries and all this stuff. But the real problem in Puerto Rico was that the grid was actually destroyed. So you can rebuild the generation and all of that stuff, but actually how do you get that electricity from one place to another? And then we started thinking about it and we were like, uh, natural disasters, it's an intermittent event. It's hard to actually plan a business around that type of thing. So what's something similar that has this problem? And that's kind of how we came up with the Western Africa developing country bit. Yeah, so about four and a half years ago, we started a company called Chain of Things that was looking at how how blockchain could be, I guess, like leveraged to uh, create better security and interoperability for Internet of Things. So we started looking at a number of case studies to do with solar energy and shipping and logistics, uh, kind of dug down to identity of devices to be able to create uh, more seamless and secure automated utility mechanisms, which will enable enable like a much a much safer future of automation. So we did a number of different projects, including like another joint venture we spun off that's focused on human and company and device identity, mainly targeting regulated industries right now in KYC. But we came back and started to work on how we could use that tool specifically for either humanitarian or environmental industrial challenges to solve and started looking at the distribution of electricity versus the generation of it and how we could apply uh, the latest technologies that may not exist almost anywhere, and then like newly uh, commoditized technologies like uh, batteries uh, to kind of tackle some of the bigger challenges uh, we're facing. So, so Connor, can you yeah. just clarify, how does this identity aspect key into it? Is this about how you can bill people? Uh, yeah, in a, in a simple way. It's like how you, how you um, automate as many of the manual processes that we have right now, and then also how you can uh, protect the identity of, of the clients uh, or the, the customers. So, 
yeah, identity is sort of this like fundamental, sometimes not often talked about, but like, you know, baseline rail or structure that most of the most of the businesses we do run on. Just moving over to Scott yeah. again now. And then one one more thing about the identity is actually in a lot of the markets that we're working in, people don't have IDs, right? So putting them on this platform as well, that also solves kind of another issue that a lot of these countries have. They don't know when people are born, like what their name is, address, that type of thing. So that's another part of it. Uh, can we go into a little bit more detail about how exactly um, this works? You've got your pickup stations or you have batteries connected as far out as the grid will go and then people walk their commute, pick up the batteries. Do they trade in an empty battery for a full battery? Yeah, I think you, I think you pretty much <laughs> nailed it. Um, yeah, so it's basically like a, call it three layer solution. So sometimes we're where the grid ends and that's financially, that's the best place to be because we mix in obviously solar. So 80% of the year you can use solar and then 20% of the time you can use grid electricity. And that's enough to get about 100 to 200 people electricity. And how it will work in that scenario is people come to the charging station. We have a text-based mobile application because actually most of the people who are using this don't have smartphones. They text that I want to rent the battery for such and such. Actually, surprisingly, text message payment and mobile payments, the penetration in developing countries is way higher than the developed world. So most people have text to pay. They pay for however long they, they want the battery, they take it with them, and then they bring it back and they're charged based on how long they have the battery, the size of the battery they rent, and how much actual electricity they use. Uh, and right now what we're seeing is that that solution is about 20% cheaper from the numbers that make it work for us than what these people are currently paying. And then also the quality of the service because they don't have to go somewhere. They're not breathing in like noxious fumes and all that. It's it's also a lot better. So you mentioned that people can use these power packs to charge their phones. What are some other applications that they can use them for? I mean, really like never underestimate human ingenuity. So one of the things that we were surprised is that actually the Benin government, we didn't know where that country was before, but it's actually right next to Nigeria in between Nigeria and Togo. They came to us and they said, actually, we really like the solution, but we, we want to get rid of our gas and diesel powered motorcycle taxi services. But we can't switch to an electric motorcycle taxi service because we don't have the energy infrastructure. So this solution that you guys have, this will allow us to set that up and get all these dirty, polluting, really noisy gasoline motorcycles off of the road and then replace it with that. So that's a, a positive environmental impact. Other things we're seeing is that like we're actually enabling micro entrepreneurs. So people are renting our batteries and then they're charging other people a slight premium to use use the batteries, make money. Um, other businesses like haircutting businesses, uh, just a variety of different things that are actually, you know, and we just have like a really small pilot. But even in that, people are building on top of our solution. Can you use it for cooking at all? Are they powerful enough for that? Yeah, so we're working with a, one of our battery partners called SunSync, and they actually have like a, I would say like a hot stove that plugs into like a just a simple DC battery uh, um, via USB. And so, yeah, that's one thing that we're trying, but obviously, you know, a lot of the food that people there 
want to cook and eat is used the kerosene thing kind of works better but again really people there are more cost sensitive than anything and because our solution is like cheaper and more efficient we think that more and more people will stop using kerosene for that purpose and switch over wow that's that's incredible so batteries aren't known for being terribly portable pretty heavy How, how do you get around that so we get around it. Um, we think of ourselves as mini baby Tesla power walls. So the batteries that we're using are anywhere from 10,000 milliamp hours. So I think everyone's familiar with that because that's what you would use to charge your phone to bigger batteries that are about 100 watt hour, 200 watt hour, 2 kilowatt hour, and then 3.2 kilowatt hour, which is probably about, to use Australian units, uh, 25 kilograms. Yeah. Um, and that battery is... Probably, if you look in most, um, I think, building codes, the heaviest thing people are allowed to carry is like 23. So we're we're, we're, mm. we're right on that edge. But that battery is actually mostly for the electric motorcycle use case, that super heavy one. And that's more of a stationary application then. Yeah, correct. So the idea behind it is that you have an electric motorcycle. You, you can take your battery out of it when you get home plug all your stuff in your house in, Mm. use it to a certain point, put it back in and go swap it in the morning. That's great. Just conscious of the time. So if you've just tuned in, we're talking to the CEOs from two startup bootcamp companies called Liquid Star and Bead. And I want to switch gears a little bit. Hugo, you're coming to us from the startup Bead. Can you give us an overview of what you do? Yeah, so first, thank you for having us here. It's really, uh, really great, fantastic. And I think we're definitely in the right place when we're looking at beyond zero emissions and science and solutions. Uh, I think we have uh, good solutions for that. One small correction, I'm not CEO. I'm the, <laughs> the VP of business development. We are a German company. We also have a headquarters in the States. And so we're here in Australia because we were selected by Startup Bootcamp, which is uh, quite a bit of an honor because the selection process is pretty rigorous. So we're really excited to be here. So, you know, I know we're on radio, but I decided to bring bead sensors with me yeah. anyway. So uh, you lovely ladies can take a look at the <laughs> bead sensor. And it's, it's basically a small, small sensor that measures five parameters humidity, air pressure, temperature, and then light and occupancy. And occupancy is really uh, where we feel that it's very valuable. To give the listeners a little bit more insight, so these yeah. are a little plastic device, about seven centimetres by five centimetres by one and a half centimetres with a few little gaps in them and a couple of interesting looking little indicator yeah. things. So they're very unobtrusive light little items yeah and so they're also battery operated which we did on purpose so that we can do an install quickly and we don't have to service the the sensors to that degree so yeah a lot of obviously design thinking has gone into it one of the things that you know the two little bubbles on the on the outside one is the one that measures light and the other one is the infrared sensor so what does b do really right Mm -hmm. so b it stands for building environment analysis device So we connect all of these little beat sensors. We put them every 100 square meters or in every room. And they talk to each other using a system called LoRa, long-range communication. So we're not interfering with Wi-Fi. We're not, uh, you know, uh, pulling anything out of of the office space that's already uh, strained as it is. But so with a gateway that we connect to a building management system, we then learn 
how the things change in, in, a, in an environment, in a building. Our AI will then analyze it and we use then uh, that information to optimize the operations in that building. And not only the operations, but also the energy efficiency. So that, that's really uh, where, what it's all about. Before I interrupted yeah, you before, yeah. you were starting to talk about occupancy, the sure. significance of that. Can you give us a bit more about that? Yeah, so we find that, you know, in the U.S. market, for example, there's a, a waste of about $250 billion, and that is energy waste, uh, that's, uh, you know, operational inefficiencies, but also uh, space waste, where with the occupancy uh data and the analytics that we do, we can then uh, find what spaces are not used. And I give the example of a conference room. If we have a beat sensor in a conference room and nobody ever goes in there, then you might as well turn it into a broom closet or an office. So, you know, it, 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 it supports a lot of sometimes costly decisions, especially if there's a waste of space. Hope that was uh, was a good answer to that question. Yeah, thank yeah. you. That clarifies that, that <laughs> a lot. So the building management system that, just to clarify the terminology, yeah. what does that consist of? So building management systems, obviously they deal with all the systems within the building, and but the most important ones are HVAC system, which is heating, ventilation and air conditioning. And then any anything else that that is like electric, uh, lighting, all of those things. Now with the beat system, if you have a building, let's say an old building that doesn't have a, bu- a building management system, the beat system can actually become the building management system. So it it works in both ways, and we designed it on purpose that way. Some new buildings, and I, I was very excited when I got off the train to see all these new buildings in, uh, in Melbourne going <laughs> up. I'm hoping that they actually uh, construct them with good building management system already integrated. But even if they have one, we can still, with our AI, uh, make those systems uh, operate more efficiently, save energy, and you know reduce the carbon footprint and uh, help the company to, to reach their sustainability goals. Yes. Yeah. Does that cost a lot to retrofit the control systems to achieve that? So no, because we don't necessarily have to retrofit it. We just basically are able to control the existing, let's say, uh, air conditioning units. We can also, uh, we have a project in a supermarket in France where we actually are able to control the the cooling uh, systems, but also the refrigerators. So it, it doesn't really, it's not that expensive, it's not that complicated. It's faster and easier to integrate with the existing system rather than to uh, go and have to become the build, building management system, but we can do both. So how does that work with the refrigeration case, for example? Are you storing food? Like, Does that food not need to be stored at certain temperatures? Uh, yeah, all the time. It, yeah, that that can happen. But I mean, we we're also doing a project in for, and I'm switching from a refrigerator to something that is like a little bit more general because we're we're working with a very f- one of the prominent car manufacturers in Germany, and the temperature is really critical when they do paint jobs. So. Mm-hmm. The, so controlling that environment and having it at the right uh, temperature will actually make or break or flake the paint. Right? <laughs> so and with refrigeration, it's it's similar. Also, we we're working with uh, actually we're hoping to do a pilot program uh, pretty soon with one of the companies here in Melbourne that uh, does bottling. And apparently, the temperatures are very important for production speed. 
But yeah, so the refrigeration, let's say there's a delivery, but the refrigeration system is like, you know, there's nothing there for a while. You can actually turn it down and control it that way. So, and the AI optimizes and automates uh, a lot of this stuff. So that's where the, the, the value comes in. So building management systems, as you say, they've been around for a long time. Yep. So, and a lot of them have this infrared technology for occupancy sensing. How does the bead system differ from existing systems? Yeah, so back way back when, uh, I think when you're talking about where the lights go on when you walk in a room, uh, but I still don't see it everywhere, number one. So obviously ad adoption has not been fantastic. Uh, I would love to have every building and you walk in and that's when the lights go on. But back then, I think uh, the things that were missing, which are the crucial uh, value proposition of BEAD, is uh, automation and uh, the AI uh, learning part of it. I think that's really what makes it uh, special. So it's your, your algorithms, basically, that, that you think is, yeah, is yeah. what adds the value. Well, and that's the secret sauce. And I actually, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not a techie, so I couldn't really tell you how it works. <laughs> So can you give us some information about how the impact that BEAD can have? What What's your experience with implementation so far? Yeah, so we've done a project in uh, in a law office that was uh, two floors, 20,000 square feet. This was in the U.S. And we were able to um, save them 10% uh, on overbooking conference rooms, 15% on energy uh, waste. So energy efficiency, we were able to improve that by 15%. And then uh, we are also able to uh, control their their air conditioning uh, units better. So wow. that was it was uh, it was pretty uh, successful. So obviously. we're talking about fifteen percent. Yeah. So combined reduction in yeah. consumption and cost. Yeah. So essentially? no, it's actually combined. It's actually better. Uh, we're okay. we're looking at probably between twenty to twenty five percent. Wow. So we're really, yeah, we're really excited about that. Wow. Yeah. If you rolled that out <laughs> yep. times many, many, many. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, like I said, I got excited when I saw the big buildings. And obviously, if you look at CBD in Melbourne, uh, there's a lot of square footage with a lot mm -hmm. of tall buildings. And this is, th these are the people that we want to talk to because uh, that's where we can make the biggest impact also energy wise. Yeah. So you mentioned a bunch of trials all over the world yep. that you guys have been involved with. Are you at a stage now where you could quickly deploy these sensors to one of these high-rise buildings in Melbourne CBD, or are you still kind of in a trialing and testing phase? No, this is this is a full-blown uh, product. Actually, as a matter of fact, we're probably either shipping it today or beginning of next week. We will be shipping uh, probably 60 sensors and uh, 10 gateways for the projects that I'm uh, that I'm gearing up for. We have the production. It's uh, it's a little slowed down because of what's happening in China and the rest of the world. But now we we can uh, deploy very quickly and uh, scale up fast as well. Right now we have 150 buildings with 3,800 beat sensors in them already. So, and from the trials that you've done, have you noticed? Are there any trends with different industries being? kind of more susceptible to bigger savings? Are there more wasteful industries, or less wasteful? Yes, great question. So we're, we're in, uh, in, in several different verticals, uh, hospitality, we're in banks, we're in municipalities. Um, you know, one of the, obviously, uh, we all know it, when I walked in, when I saw New York City for the first time, it blew my mind that the lights were on 24-7. You know, that was really, that was really crazy. 
Here in Melbourne at night, it's a lot better, but I still see a lot of lights on everywhere. So I think that that's uh, really the, you know, the office buildings, the high rises, I think those are the, the ones that uh, waste the most. So yeah, that's one, one of the reasons why we want to talk to those uh, companies that are in those buildings. We need to start wrapping things up, but we've got just enough time to hear from each of you about where can listeners go to find out more if they're interested in finding out a bit more about this technology and, and where your startups are at with it. Yeah, so for uh, for Bead, you can go to bead.digital. You know, we don't do .com anymore as startups. It's either, <laughs> it's either IO or .digital, so it's bead.digital. That's where you can find more information, and obviously uh, you can get in touch with me uh, through the website as well. And yeah, we, we're in Startup Bootcamp, so we can also be reached that way. For Liquid Star, we've got the IO, so it's just uh, liquidstar.io, and uh, you can contact us through there. It's pretty light right now, but we'll have a lot more information coming out in the next few weeks. So, Okay, and if people wanted to become involved in other ways, are there other avenues apart from just collecting information? Yeah, we'll actually be announcing something in the next couple weeks, I'd say. So So people might like to check the websites sooner rather than later. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, thanks so much for your time today, everyone. So we've been talking to Connor and Scott from Liquid Star and Hugo from Bead. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can help donate to cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZD website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognized climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly baseload supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.